Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This week on Dying Alive, the Penguins continue the Jekyll and Hyde act, putting together some of their finest performances, sandwiched in between some absolutely doo-doo ones. In addition, we'll be joined by the Athletic Zone, Josh Yeo. You can't believe it's the first time we've ever had him on the show. Pat and I are going to chop it up for a little bit as well. In addition to taking your correspondences, it is Dying Alive. Imagine how different the show would be today if the Penguins shut the Flyers out 3-0. Oh, it would be damn near jubilant. Like, we would be on cloud nine, especially after beating them twice in a row. Celebrate good times. Come on. (laughs) It's a celebration. You know what the— But instead— is the, here's another question. Is the three-goal lead now the worst lead in hockey? You know, I feel like any time you blow any kind of lead in hockey, it instantly takes the, the, the cake as the most dangerous lead in hockey. So, what's the, what's the worst lead in hockey? The one that you just gave up. Um, That's also why I'm kind of glad that I had to work at 2 in the morning. So, I only got to see the first period. But that also prevented me from talking big shit on Twitter about what was going on in the Flyers game. So I didn't have any like, oh, how are you feeling about this now? But it was like, no, I was sleeping. I didn't see it. Well, I watched the highlights, but didn't see it live. Yeah, it doesn't count then. <laughs> so this is like, just to give you a sampling, a smattering, if you will. Um, you know, you have the, the Penguins beat the Islanders on February 20th. They follow that up with a OT win against the Caps. They get smoked by the Caps. They beat the Islanders in OT. They get smoked by the Islanders. They smoke the Flyers. They get smoked by the... That's what I mean by this Jekyll. There's no... You, every game now is a magical bus ride of uh, terror and excitement. And you have absolutely know what you're doing. The thing that concerns me is the bad ones are way worse than the good ones. And are possibly more frequent. Yeah, I'm concerned about that, like, in a sense of they're struggling to put quality games together. Like, just a stretch of three, four, or five games where they're doing everything right. Even if they lose, like, because you know, we've, we've, we've seen that. We've talked about it on this pod in the last three years, is that, uh, you know, they have games where they don't, they look good, but they don't win. And the process is there. The other thing I'm worried about, and you kind of brought it up in that quick recap, they got to figure out ways to start closing games out in regulation. They have to, consistently. It's easier to do that when you're playing with a lead, which they don't do a lot, right? Yeah. So right out of the gate, you're, you're you know, they've found here's, – here's what I'll say about you're, – you're right, Pat, first of all. I do agree with you. They're giving away too many points, 100%. But – we have, I think, celebrated it too much because and often it comes in a come from behind fashion. And you're at that point thankful that you got that point, right? And then like whatever comes out of OT or three on three is a bonus. That like that makes it so much harder to get that extra point when you're playing from behind. But then you have situations like last night when you actually have the lead and you you know, there's this is one that you should be able to just lock down and, you know, throw a fire extinguisher on. And this is the result. And you didn't even get the point last night. You didn't even get one. Well, it, you didn't make it that far. That's the, that's the other issue, too, is that a season like this where you're only playing within your division, going to overtime almost negates your victory because you gave the—and, you know, we just got done talking about this, about this with Josh, is the fact that they have played the same teams over and over and over again. So you keep spotting them points, and they're the teams you're chasing. 
You know, the Penguins have played the class of the Mass Mutual East Division. They haven't played the bottom feeders yet. Ching. <laughs> so, like, the fact that they're giving a point here, a point there, a point here, and a point there to the Islanders, the Capitals, and the Flyers, right. it, it, it's keeping them from getting into and maintaining a playoff spot. So that's the biggest 100%. issue. 100%. Yeah. And, you know, look at the games in hand situation, right? Uh, not painting a better picture for them when you get uh, to that point and you start looking at it from that perspective. Because um, I think what both Philadelphia and Boston right now have two games in hand on them, and they're on the outside looking in, the Penguins. So assuming, let's say, hypothetically for a moment, Boston and Philly make those, you know, those two games up and get four points out of it, how much worse does the situation all of a sudden become now? Yeah, it, it it puts you so far behind the eight ball. Like, you know, while one, you know, while one side of me is happy that, you know, they can say, you know what, let's let's get on our horse and come back and, and get something out of this, they gotta find a way to finish it in sixty because you're you're essentially not just negating the win, you're negating the effort because it doesn't really gain you anything. You're playing extra hockey for no real reason other than you get the extra point. But when you give one away in a three-point game within the division, it's just wasted effort. And by the time you get to the end of the season, with how condensed it already is, that's more burnout. It's a lot easier. A lot easier. It's a lot harder to make up a six-point gap when you're doing it one point at a time. You've just turned three games into six. Yep. So that's math, right? Them's the maths. Uh, that's the title of this week's show. Them's the maths. Them's the maths. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, I don't want to like cast a funeral pall, uh, over the entire discussion here. So if we're going to pick out things that are good before we talk with Josh, um, let's pick out Chris Letang. Cause I think it'd have been fair. And I, you know, actually it was two weeks ago on the show when we, we, uh, two or three weeks ago, we said that it, and even last week with Jack, uh, with Jay fresh, we said, it's like, okay traditional performance from him this season is like fourth or fifth best guy on the team. Uh, that's really sort of started to normalize. Not only is that reflected on the score sheet, Pat, but like just looking at it uh, with your own damn dies, it's uh, it just looks better. Yeah. It, 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 he, he has started to look more like Chris Letang, which is good. And like you said, it's both. It's it's the eye test and it's the numbers. He's he's rounded into form, and I think that's that. You know, like you said, we don't want to cast a funeral pall over this episode, but that's that's the silver lining right now. Is that the guys we were worried about? Crosby to a little bit of an extent, but not much because Crosby's Crosby. But Malkin, Latang, Jari have all started coming around. They're starting to look like themselves. They're starting to look like consistent performers. You know, Jari's looking like a starting goalie. Latang's looking like a number one defenseman. Malkin's starting to look like the big Russian bully he always is. And that the 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 trick now is to get all that working in concert, which with guys getting healthy and coming back, there is a lot of hope for that. Well, you've got to, I mean, it's a big deal tomorrow to take the rubber match in this one. Um, that's a big deal. If they could get too clean out of the Saturday afternoon game, which just saying that makes me depressed because how, I mean, like confirmation bias perhaps at play here, Pat, but I just don't feel like afternoon games normally work out well for them. Very rarely. I don't know. The last one they think they played, right. Was uh, the five o'clock game. Right. And they got smoked in that one. Five, two, I think, or was that is that Kurt? Was it the Islanders? No, that was the five. Yeah, yeah. they played five o'clock game against the Islanders. They lost two nothing. So you got the Flyers uh, Saturday at one, um, right back at it Sunday in an evening game against the Rangers at seven. Rare seven thirty start for the Penguins. Uh, Tuesday you get a six o'clock start against the Rangers, uh, and then two uh, against the Sabers back to back. So here's the deal: we talk about how important the rubber match is, you know, just for shaking off the nastiness that was the four three loss. Uh, the Rangers aren't playing particularly well right now, uh, and you know they've got some stuff going on. The Sabers are terrible; they're just absolutely horrible. You know, the, the 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 ability to shake some of this night and day is in front of them, and and you know potentially some of these games might allow them to flex a little bit. But 
if you go one and one and one and one and one and one and one the whole way through this stretch, Pat, uh, that's the yikes chat. That like the, that's a big old yikes. <laughs> like the yikes chat. That's I I I tried to pull a TikTok reference out because we were talking about it pre-record, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. But like you're right. If you go one and one and one and one and one and one in this division. You're going to be on the outside looking in because, like, you know, Josh said it, every writer has said it. This is a division that has four playoff spots and five good teams. So somebody is going to miss. Now, that's not a built-in excuse. That's a mandate. That's saying you have to show up every night. You cannot take a night off. Even against the Sabres and, and Devils, you have to show up against them and the Penguins over the next month are finally going to get that opportunity to play against the Sabres and Devils, and when they do, there cannot be room for error. You have to put those points in the bank. Speaking of Josh, uh, he's our guest. We have him next. We're going to have a very long talk about the Penguins, a very frank talk. Get down in the nitty-gritty. Might talk about how much Josh likes cats. And then... Uh, we'll get to your correspondences, so stay tuned, and uh, there's going to be more dying alive in a second. Okay, for the first time, belated, just just seriously remiss of us to not have this gentleman on uh, in advance of this. Uh, covering the Penguins of the Athletic, let me give you some facts about this guest. Uh, number one, guy loves his grandmother, and I love that. I respect that. Any man loves his grandmother gets my respect. Number two, loves cats. A lot of people may not know that. Uh, and then... Uh, Number three in, in, in high school just had the drip, the swag. I mean, you may have seen the senior photo. It was unbelievable. If you haven't seen it, he'll show it to you. Uh, no, without further ado, it's Josh Yohe. Josh, my friend, thank you for spending some time with us tonight. I know you like the uh, 66 I was sporting in the senior pick. Did you notice oh, yeah. the gold socks I had on the matching outfit as well? I did not notice the socks. I know I, I know you'll look later. So I, I got shot down on the Penguins gear for the senior pick because in uh, my junior year on picture day, I snuck in a 311 shirt. <laughs> yeah. And I got, I got, my mom was really mad that I got my junior year picture in my 311 shirt. Mm. Yeah. There, Jesse, there is a picture of me floating around somewhere. It's not senior year. Cause I actually had to take the senior pictures seriously. I'm trying to remember the band shirt I'm wearing, but I'm wearing a band shirt, a sport coat, jeans and i had my fro so you were ready for a ska concert yeah there <laughs> <laughs> you go see a ska show uh josh the theme of tonight is just it, it uh, that's like a more of a funeral paul but uh let's start with this you know what well, I, I don't you know whether you want to use the eye test whether you believe in the fancy stats whatever your mode of hockey evaluation is this team is like if if your aunt cindy said to you uh, we're having Sunday dinner at my house. You got really excited. She said, we're having ham, mashed potatoes. She laid out this whole menu, but then you got there and like none of it had any seasoning and it was just bland. That's this, <laughs> I feel like that's this Penguins team is it's it, on paper. It looks like a good meal. Uh, and then when you, you actually go and sit down and enjoy it, it's just, uh, it's undercooked and underprepared. Yeah. I, I think that's a good way to put it, Jesse. Um, there's something vanilla about this team. And it's the most boring Penguins team I can recall since about 2003, probably. And even that team, like you got to see 66 play once every week whenever he was healthy enough to play. Yeah. Um, something is wrong with this team. And frankly, it starts at the top. Uh, a lot of people like to blame the depth or Jim Rutherford's decisions. And we'll get into that because there were some bad ones. But, you know, everyone's taking their pot shots at Malkin and Latang, and deservedly so at times. But Crosby hasn't been great either. And if you look, I was just putting together his numbers uh, since he had the uh, the lower core surgery, as they like to call it. Back in my day, we called it sports hernia surgery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> since then, he has 52 points in 49 games, which for mere mortals is great. For him, it, you know, it's not quite what we're used to seeing. So his numbers are down a bit. Malkin's numbers are down. And I just feel like those two, as great as they have been, as great as they still are, they don't cover up the blemishes the way they once did. Um, they, they just don't. And that's part of the problem. And you're right throughout the lineup, you have a fourth line that you can't really use. I like the Bluger line a lot. I like it a heck of a lot more as a fourth line than a third line. I don't hate it as a third line, but so you just, you go down the lineup and there's just so many flaws 
with this team. And you're right on paper. And before the season, I thought, you know, they, they might surprise some people. They might be better than, than people think. And right now, if you ask me if I think they're going to make the playoffs, I'm, I'm starting to lean no a little bit. Yeah, and I was with you on that, Josh, at the start of the season. Like, I, I looked at that roster and thought, this is getting a little undue flack. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's it's not it, it's not 2016, it's not 2017, but I don't think it's that far off. And then the product on the ice showed up, and it was just, like you said, vanilla, bland. It's not, it, I don't know if it's, you know, I, I know that a lot of our listeners, you know, don't like this kind of phrase, but I don't know if it's a lack of heart. I don't know if it's a lack of whatever, but... It just seems like there isn't as much fight in this group as you would hope. And you know what's funny about this team? Like I have all, I have all the respect in the world for Mike Sullivan. And I think – I don't know if Todd Reardon's a great head coach, but he's always been a great assistant coach. And I don't think he suddenly lost his touch. I don't believe that. But when you watch them play, they look like a poorly coached team, do they not? Yep, they do. And then we talked about this, Josh, like last week. You know, you had Saturday of last week. Mike Sullivan comes out and just one words everybody. You know, just very short, sort of like you had that. I said it's like you had the second-hand embarrassment, like when you knew that your friend was getting yelled at, you know, by his parents, and you just sat there and just pretended like you weren't in the room. Okay. Uh, and then, and then even last night, he basically comes out and says, "Look, paraphrasing, I don't know what I can do, basically, to make these. These aren't new concepts," he said, which is something that I think, for the most part, is true. You know, at least at even strength, they're not in a new system. This is a system they won a Stanley Cup with, by and large. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, like, this brings us to this inevitable bridge we get to with this team, Josh, where, where regardless of the level of success somebody has, it just becomes untenable. Is that, I mean, and I, and I find myself with, I don't have an answer to this, by the way. Is that hockey now? Is that, like, representative of the sport as a whole? Is it just this group in particular? And if so, what is it about this group that puts us in this situation? I mean, these are questions I don't have the answers to, but I mean, we got I mean, we're at a point now where I think we have to start asking, like, is the relationship between the coach and this team and the foundation of what he won with still, is it still there? No, it's, it's completely fair to ask that question. And I know, you know, your Penguins history, Jesse, and let's be honest, Sullivan's to the point with, with other Penguin coaches where that's usually about the expiration point. And, and normally I would say, yeah, and, and I have said the guy's won two cups. He's a great coach. I think he is. But there were other coaches. Dan Bilesman did a heck of a job for a long time, but when his time was done with this group, it was done. Um, there's a long list of coaches over the years you can say that about. It's fair to wonder, although for me, when I watch this team, I, I think age is playing a role here. Mm. I, I don't think, and I was talking, actually, a couple of years ago, I was talking with Billy Garrett. I think it was two years ago. And I asked him if he thought Crosby had lost a step. I said, he's still fast. He's still a great skater. Do you think he's lost like even a quarter of a step? And Garen said, no. And that's surprising because I thought maybe he had. He said, no. He said, the rest of the league is just caught up. The league is better than it has ever been. Yeah. And, and he's right. And you can see that. Um, so Jim Rutherford wanted to build this fast electric team. And I, I don't have a problem with many of the players on the team. But you can see the way the game has changed and just how good the league is right now. Um, it's different than it was. So I, I don't know about you guys, but I am fascinated to see what Ron Hextall and Brian Burke are going to do next because I know what Jim Rutherford was going to do. He was going to try to keep winning this year and next, and I don't think he was going to bring Crystal Tang, and he was going to try to save some money and make a huge splash in the 22 free agency market. That, that was his plan uh, to kind of sustain things. Whether you agree with it or not, that was it. I don't know that that will be Ron Hextall's plan, um, but just – what that plan will be and exactly when it kicks in that's anybody's guess right now no and the thing you said about the league getting better like you know you guys obviously have more uh historical experience around hockey than i do but like you think about the the 90s the the early 2000s and even a little bit the 2010s there would be anywhere between like two four five six great players like the guys that you just look at and go like this is the can't miss guy when they come to town Right. Get a ticket, tune in. You watch the NHL now, there, there's got to be close to double digits, if not in double digits, of guys that you can't miss. And not to mention the way the game is taught and trained in, in everything else now, every player has a skill set better than you know, 10, 15 years ago. Guys can shoot, guys can skate, guys can stick handle. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the thi- like the difference obviously is, you know, guys like sit up the vision, but like 
guys are so well-rounded now that the league, and Garen's spot on, the league now is so much better than it's ever been. The biggest issue is now getting out of its own way and letting that flourish, but that's a different debate for a different day. Yeah, I, I had a conversation back when we were allowed to talk with the hockey players before the world went mad. <laughs> um, it was early in last season. It was, I think, December of 19. I was talking with Sid, and I asked him about when he came into the league in 2005 compared to now, and he told me that in his first couple of seasons especially, he knew when he was out there against a third-pair defenseman, he knew if the defenseman turned their hips, he was gone. Okay. Yep. And, it, and he knew they couldn't stop him. He Do you said, remember, Josh, that night in the middle of the uh, – after shortly after his comeback when he tested Marek Zidlitschke like that against yeah. New Jersey? Yeah. And he, he would take him one direction to see how he reacted. Mm-hmm. And when he caught which way he was turning his hips, he turned it on and went the other way, danced right around him and scored a goal. Yeah, I mean it's – which makes you marvel – at the way people like McDavid and McKinnon can skate, they're yeah. still doing that. The third pairing defense, but now that's a, they're two of the greatest skaters the game's ever seen. Yeah. But you know, Sidney Crosby's up there pretty high on that list too. We forget, especially Young Sid, the way he would make everyone else look like they were in slow motion. But you know, the Penguins just don't have those physical advantages. <laughs> did and and I will say the one thing I noticed in last night's game, and man, that was a disaster of a hockey <laughs> game, and you could just feel it coming, couldn't you? I mean, oh, for, for for the moment, the third goal went in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you just knew something wasn't right, even though they were up, even though it was 3-1. But the one thing I saw last night, I'm curious for, for both of your opinions on this. I thought Gino had his legs last night more than we have seen at any time this season. And that that's encouraging to me that maybe, you know, he, he's not just suddenly old, that maybe he didn't train properly or whatever. But if he gets his legs and skates continually the way he did last night, I have to think there's a breakout performance from him coming and that the points will start to compile a little bit. He kind of felt it coming though. You know, over time that's been building, I think, which lends credence to the theory that that's been what the problem is the whole time. Um, You know, and it's, it it takes time to get that back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, honestly, the the point of our conversation today is, you know, what father time does to you Mm -hmm. uh, and getting your feet under you, I think is one of those things. Uh, Gino's never been notoriously the strongest starting player in the history of the league. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe with father time, it takes a, a little bit to wind that up. Um, well, and I was, uh, you know, he also said, I think it might've been even to you, Josh, or you or Rob about the pandemic kind of shutting down rink. gyms yeah. and rinks and he wasn't really able to train. And, yeah. you know, I, I agree with Jesse too. Um, this has been building. I think the last week and a half, two weeks, we've seen flashes of, classic Gino, you know, the guy who can wind it up, the guy who can make a move in power his way to the net. You know, we talked about it our last episode with, with who we had on mm-hmm. about how the biggest issue we had seen was that he wasn't going to the dirty areas, like the front of the net. Mm-hmm. Last week or so, that's starting to change. He's going to those scoring areas. He's getting to the middle of the ice. And once he starts doing that and his legs get under him, that's that's the Gino we want to see. There was a moment that was in the victory against Philly on Tuesday. I thought he had drawn a penalty, and there was actually a penalty on the Penguins on the play. When Gino was in front of the net just working his tail off, you like to see that. that That's a good sign. And, you know, talking, Jesse, about father time, I mean, when you watch these players as intently as we do, you, you start to notice just little things. that The game's not quite as easy. I, I know you're a, a Mario scholar, and so am I. You'll remember, Jesse, the 95-96 season, he was at his dominant best for 30 years old. The next year, he won the scoring title, but he wasn't the same player. You you could see that it was getting a little tougher for him to beat people one-on-one the way he had even a year earlier. Which is separation you talked about. Yes, one of the reasons he left after that season, because it just wasn't quite as easy for him to dominate people. <laughs> he had been and they were life. holding on to him for dear life, you know, at oh, that point, yeah. too, and of course, basically sticking meat hooks in him and dragging him along the ice. Yeah. You know, oh, of course. Uh, it was different. You know what I mean, though? You, yeah. You, and I think in Crosby and Malkin, I, I still think Crosby's a top 10 player in the league. But, uh, you know, you can just see the physical dominance isn't quite what it was a couple of years ago. And maybe it will come because guys in their 30s will tell you it takes longer for them to really feel themselves in a season. And that's why maybe we shouldn't have been shocked with what happened against the Canadians back in August. I had a lot of former players tell me it's going to be tough for them. They're in their 30s. It's tough to get your legs when you haven't played in a few months. And and obviously we saw that. Well, yeah, and, and not to like, not to talk in a circle either. It's it's also a mix of that I think and what we were talking about with how good the league is catching up to these guys. Like you know mm-hmm. you, you, they can't that like 
there's not as many guys for them to just feast on anymore. Like those, like you talked about third pairing defensemen, fourth line forwards, like, you know, you put some of these third pairing and fourth line guys that are on playoff caliber teams on the non playoff caliber teams, they're on the first or second line. And it's not like the days of old where you're like, huh, you know, somebody has got to take that spot and be, you know, score the goals. It's no, on a, on a lesser talented team, this guy is good enough to be in the top six or in the top four for D. And, and when you look at the Penguins, I, I will also mention, look at who they've had to play. They, they haven't had a chance to play against the Sabres yet or the Devils, who are clearly the two weakest teams in this division. Um, so there's been an awful lot of Barry Trotz having to deal with that team and, oh, and yeah. the Bruins. So they, they've had the, the rough end of the stick in terms of the schedule, and that's something we do need to consider. Yeah, if and you I had look that, at the I had data, that... too, you know, like, you know, I was talking about this today on Twitter – they're not a team that's particularly good at scoring goals at even strength. Uh, and they're not a team that's particularly great at preventing them. But then you think about who they've played and you think, wow, well, you know what? Maybe it's no wonder why their offense isn't quite as good as it used to be. <laughs> you know, they're playing in quicksand. Now, that's not to make them blame them. that. You know, the last game they played against the Islanders was just abysmal. Yes. I mean, that that was uh, it's still yeah, that wasn't systematic. That was it, there was something more insidious to that game. It, it still boggles my mind after that last Islanders Islanders game that people watch that team for fun. Like that is <laughs> it's uh, different I, when you're winning, though. You know, uh, and uh, it's, I get it's different when you're winning, but like as an opposing fan, like even on a night where I was working, like that was supposed to be like my okay. I got ten minutes before I got to do something else. I can turn around and watch a couple minutes of the game. I was like, and I, I I'm as big of a hockey nerd as they come. Like I do this podcast, I coach, I played, I'm a fanatic of the Penguins. I watch that game like. I'm just going to find something to do at work. Now, it's a classic Penguins uh, Python game, you know, where they just get mm-hmm. suffocated slowly but surely over the course of 60 minutes. They never get to the middle of the ice, and then they kind of go out with a whimper. And the way Mike Sullivan reacted after that game was pretty good indication that he felt like his team just didn't show up. And I, I don't say that about this group very often. Even when they play poorly, I, I think they're trying. I, I don't think effort is really ever an issue. But, yeah, something wasn't right that game. Casey DeSmith played a whale of a game, by the way. He did, yeah. No, okay. really, honestly. That could have been 5 nothing very easily, really. But you, you would go back, though, to the, to the, three, uh, the 3-0 you know, comeback loss. That could have gotten out of hand even, even more if Tristan Jari hadn't have made some of the saves that he made you know, midway through the second into the end of the second period. Um, let's talk about that, though, Josh, because, I mean, that was a total disaster at some point at the beginning of the season. Uh, Jari totally lost and Casey DeSmith, even at his best is just, is what he is. Right. I'm guessing where's your confidence meter, uh, with the goaltending now having seen the dust settle a little bit for them. You know what? I've, I've been a pretty big Jari supporter for a while. I I think he's good. And I I think he's in a good place right now. Uh, even that game last night, I thought he played well. I didn't like how he handled the puck on the game winning goal. He, he could have been a little better there, but I'm being picky. Um, you know, it almost just felt like a matter of time. And he, he made three or four highlight reel saves in that game. And if you look at his body of work for about three weeks now, I think he's been very good. The, the fact is this team is still giving up a lot of really good opportunities. And we all talked about how well they played against Philly in the victory on Tuesday, but they gave up 42 shots. Um, and Jari had to make many very, very good saves. So, um, you, you know, you consider that. I, I think he's been good. Obviously, he struggled in January. It wasn't all his fault. He wasn't good. Uh, he's always been a little bit of a slow starter, though, if you go back and look at his junior and American Hockey League career. So put it all together. I, I think he's in a good place. I, I think they have a lot of issues. I don't think Tristan's really one of them. Yeah, and, and I think that's also kind of been indicative, you know, of the whole season so far. Like, you know, this team – kind of came out of the gate with molasses in their skates and that went from top to bottom whether it was the forwards defense goalie one thing i wanted to ask you about because you have good insight on onto the team josh is is there a level of kind of confidence or something that might because he, he jari talked about it very briefly in having hextall as gm now like a former goalie one of the great goalies of all mm-hmm. time that might kind of you know help him out or rub off on him give him make him feel a little bit better it, Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Jim Rutherford was a goalie, too, not as established as one as Ron Hextall, yeah. for sure. 
Um, perhaps. I, I feel like the Penguins in general have played better since the regime change. Um, I, I do, and I'm, hey, that'll get your attention. And Burke and Hextall, they've been on every road trip too. I mean, they are around this team every day, and they're both imposing figures that you know will get your attention. That's um, one way to describe them. <laughs> There's something, right? So, um, yeah, maybe I, I just see Jari in general playing better. I, I don't know what the reason is. He's such of a laid-back kid that it, it's hard to really get a read on him. He's one of those people who never gets rattled about anything. He's the complete opposite of Matt Murray, who I think Murray Murray's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Like His IQ is probably 160. And I, I think he just overthought everything to the point that it really affected his fundamentals where you know, Tristan's just a laid back kid. Nothing seems to get to him. And all of I think he's almost too laid back sometimes. And if coaches get upset with him, I think that's why. But he, he's he's in a pretty good place right now for whatever the reason. So I think he's I, been good and it's it's a good sign. I definitely noticed that a little bit with Murray. You know, I've said it on uh, to Jesse and, and Mike when he can make it when when we're doing these shows is I think one of the best true great marks of a goalie that's in a good place is you can kind of see in their body language and mentality when they give up a goal it's there you can see in their mentality it's either oh shit how's the next one gonna go in or the next one is not going in and you can kind of see you could kind of see that in murray over the near the end of his time with the penguins like he'd give one up and that would kind of start the wheels turning in his head of like uh the next one's gonna beat me he needed a fresh start. I, there's no question. And I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for Matt. I I don't know. It's a bad team he's on right now, so it's hard for me to get. Goaltending in general seems completely out of whack to me around the league. There's only a couple of guys that you know. You know for sure you're going to see the goods almost every night. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention our old friend number 29, who's playing out of his mind in Vegas right now. He is. But he's, I mean, he's another one. There have been lulls in his career where you're ready to get rid of him. You couldn't help him. I still don't know if I trust him in a big game. And he's won some of the biggest games in franchise history. But you, you don't always know what you're going to get from goalies. It's just the way it is. But he's going to be he's, in the Hall of Fame someday, and he's playing out of his mind right now. He has shut me the hell up the last two years, that's for sure. <laughs> Not so much last year, though. Last year was, was a yeah, weird one for him. Yeah. yeah, that's he, that roller coaster we talked had, about. He, though, had, you know? he yeah. had spurts, though. You know, like it was typical him. Oh, that's, like, yeah, that's the the, the highs thing. were so high, the lows were very low. And the highlights are always rich. You know, they're always the 10 bells and the, the, the that flashy glove. You know, it always makes it look good when he does it. Um, Josh, I got to ask you this before we let you go, because I know a lot of people are upset about it and like viscerally angry. Uh, POJ goes down. I don't have like strong thoughts about this. I boldly jumped on Twitter like three weeks ago and proclaimed that he should never play in the American Hockey League again. <laughs> I think I did too. <laughs> I think he did too. <laughs> Pat probably did too. Probably. Um, but then like it quickly changed. And I feel like it was when, you know, we got those big minutes on that top pairing with Crystal Tang. Mm. The two of them just did not mix well. Uh, I don't think it was good for either of them. Uh, they're both – we both said they think the same thing, Josh. They both want the puck, and there's yep. only one, and it wasn't – it just was not working. Are we pan- – like what, what What does this mean for like the grand scheme of POJ? Uh, is he a victim of numbers? It, was it worse than we than we were, were led to believe that it was? I didn't think it was that bad. But Cody sees he playing out of his mind right now as well, and you're not taking him out. So what do you do? Where the hell did that come from, by the oh way? Oh, my they God. So good every game. It's unbelievable. Um, and look at how good they – I know Marino is really struggling right now and Latang's been up and down, but look at how good they are on the right side right now. When, I mean, Chad Ruedel is perfectly competent, and he's not good enough to get into the lineup right now. So yeah. you feel great. And remember, Sullivan's really big on righties on the right side, lefties on the left side. I think they need to find out what they have in Marcus Pedersen and I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's on the trade block at some yeah. point. To me, he, he's fine, but he's just a guy. He, and he probably makes a little too much money for what he is, in my opinion. He's not a shutdown defender. He's not going to give you much offensively. They need to find out what they have in him. I don't think POJ was playing that poorly the last couple of weeks. Um, but like you said, he's at his best when he has the puck. We noticed that, that incredible first pass he makes and his ability to jump into the play and his ability to get shots through traffic. He's just so gifted in these ways. But when you're playing with Chris, Chris is always going to have the puck. 
Mm-hmm. That's not a knock on Chris. That's what makes him great. Um, but th- th- clearly they were oil and water. He needs to be on a pairing, I think, when he's the primary puck handler. Um, do I think he's one of their six best defensemen right now? Yes, I do. Uh, I think he should be in their lineup, but I also can understand where they're coming from. They just have so many numbers, especially with Dumoulin moving back, I think, any day now. Um, but it, it's a matter of time. I think POJ will be back up before the end of the season and playing in the top six. I, I, I don't know that he's a future star, but I think he's clearly a future top four pairing defenseman at worst. And uh, it's just a matter of time. And we'll probably have to have a whole new segment to talk about the roller coaster that is Mike Matheson. That, that dude's fun to watch, but I wouldn't trust him on my team in a playoff series for one second. I'll tell you that. Well, and, and with the PO, the POJ stuff, Josh, uh, you know, I think you might have the same kind of take I do on this. It's pr- it's not so much an indictment of his play as it is they want to put him in a role where he's a lot more prominent to mm-hmm. really get his confidence. Like, not that he needs his confidence up, but it would be best for his development for him to be the number one defenseman or on the top pairing and get those heavy minutes in Wilkes. Yeah, it probably would. Um, you're right. Hey, when he was at his best with those games when there were no defensemen left and he was playing 25 minutes and he was unbelievable. So, but... We see the talent with him. I, I don't know if there's any question about it. And like, I still think he's going to be up at some point in the near future. But they have too many defensemen. I know that's a cliche. You can never have enough defensemen. Well, when you don't have a fourth line and, and you have 10 NHL caliber defensemen, that, that's, that's out of whack. And so I, I expect to trade at some point to try to help out that bottom six because when you're playing as many games as they are right now, you have to play four lines. And they can't. They can't play their fourth line right now, really. It's, so, so that's, that's the biggest problem is Mike Sullivan. Uh, you know, you you get the sense that that has handcuffed him, Josh. Yep. Like at even strength, he's just completely having to uh, dance around uh, that line and how he uses it and when he uses it. Yep. You know, being very careful to put it out there with a the top defensive pairing, so it's kind of got that backup to it and. Uh, that that's killer. You know, anytime you, that, that'll kill your rhythm flat out. It just will. If you're a yeah. coach that likes to go line matching and you like to think the game the way Sullivan does, it's going to just burn you. If you, you yeah. can't trust your fourth, your fourth line. And, at all. And when you look at they're in the stretch of what, six games in nine days, you need to be able to right. pull the four lines a little bit. And understandably so Sullivan's not right now. And I, I see why he isn't, but if, and that's why the Zucker injury, even if he wasn't really playing great, because it's just a trickle down effect. Now, Jared McCann looks like he's found his confidence. He looks really good. You'd love to maybe try him in a third line role again, but you can't right now. So, so it just creates problems everywhere in the lineup. It totally washed out the bonus of getting Zach Aston Reese back. Yeah. <laughs> and you, yeah. now you have to redeploy him in a different way that, you know, kind of ruined whatever momentum and groove that that third line actually had at all. Right. Uh, and it gets put back together. And last night they completely got caved in. Um, Josh, let's, I'm going to put you on the spot. This Uh-oh. is how we'll end it. Do the Penguins make the playoffs? Based on what you know right that, now. That size says it all. <laughs> um, my my guess right now would be no. And I, I, think, I think they're going to be close. There's five good teams in this division. We know who they are. Those teams just aren't losing. And, and I know the Penguins have a ton of games against Buffalo and Jersey, and that's great. They've lost a lot of games to those two teams the last couple of years. Exactly. They're yep. going to go 16-0 in those games. Sorry, they're not. you um, got mad Jack Eichel coming to town. <laughs> yeah. You know. Super pissed Eichel. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jersey gives them fits. I don't know why, but they do. So it's going to be close, and I hate betting against Crosby because I know how much pride he and Malkin have and how much it means to them to make the playoffs. They'll give it a run. They're not going to fall apart. But I just look at how flawed this team is. There's just a lot of issues, and the special teams are such of a disaster. I don't know if you just snap your finger. You know what nobody's talking about last night? They were up 3-0 in the first period, and then they get a power play. That was maybe the worst power play of the season. They turn in a vacuum on. Crosby Crosby tried to downplay it. Like he did. He, he was. He said. Like somebody asked him. Might have been you. I don't know, Josh. I didn't see the whole media availability. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, somebody was like, "Oh, well, you know, how much of a role did that, you know, power play when you're up three nothing and not scoring play?" And he tra- tried to say, "Oh, it wasn't that big of a deal." I mean, realistically, not even from a X's and O standpoint, you score on a power play when it's three, right after you went up three nothing, make it four nothing. Flyers are mentally checked out. Well, the game's over if they go up four and. They on that power play they gave away the puck five times in the first ninety seconds of the power play five times. Yep. It, 
but you know, it was, it was terrible. And the, and the penalty kill is such of a disaster. So you add up all the issues that they have, those other four teams in this division, they have their flaws too. Uh, those are good teams. Uh, they're not just going to go on a seven game losing streak. Any of those teams. So, uh, Penguins are in trouble. I, I don't think there's any question about it. And guys, even if they get in, can you imagine them going through the Flyers and the Bruins? I, I can't. Yeah, that's going to be that's it, an ugly the, way to get in there. The, yeah. the the Mass Mutual East Division first two oh. rounds are going to be a dogfight. More so than the, <laughs> yeah, I mean, more so than division is in the regular season. I yeah. will say though, I do think it's more likely the Penguins make the playoffs than it is that Patrick Hornquist shoots thirteen percent for the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to remind people he's always been a very streaky goal scorer. But, this uh, is rubbing salt in the wound now, though. Josh. <laughs> you take the worst time to do it, man. And I, uh, and I feel like I feel like every time he scores a goal is when Matheson has like a really peculiar giveaway or. Just, just it happens almost at the same time. It's yeah. like they're tied together. Yeah, they're yeah. We should start watching Florida games to see if Hornquist has a bad shift when Matheson scores. Maybe it's just, Maybe. just the yin and the yang of the hockey world. But I do find, guys, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm obsessed with watching Matheson when he's on the ice because you know something wild's going to happen. Who either have a Paul Coffey moment or pick a random bad defense. Because it, I, 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 Rob's talked about this a lot, and I totally agree. I don't know that I've ever seen a defenseman with offensive instincts like his. And then with defensive instincts that are even more, you know, out of whack, it's just bizarre. A Matheson shift is more exciting to me than a Connor McDavid shift. You know what Connor McDavid's going to do. He's going to do something incredible. Yep. Matheson comes over the boards. No idea. Yeah. It's a mystery. There's been so many times where I've seen him like pick his head up and like all of a sudden it's like, he's surprised he's behind the offensive net, you know? (laughs) Like, how did I get all the way down? Where is everyone? And it's one on four, you know, and he just got to just figure out what to do now. The team's yeah. changing and he's like, it's just a, it's like a magical journey down a yellow brick road every single time. Yeah. I mean, boy, can he carry it though? Man, can't take that away from him. No. I mean, you can see why a scout would watch him and be like, oh, let's go get this guy. We can turn this guy into a player because he has these physical tools that you can't teach. But I, I don't know the last time I've seen a defenseman who had worse fundamentals than this guy or just a, a worse awareness. And it's just it's peculiar to watch him play. And and I think, I, like I said, I, as talented as he is and he's interesting, he's the kind of guy in a playoff series that is just going to murder you. Teams are going to isolate on him and it's going to be a real, real problem. They're going to encourage him to carry it. Yes. You know, that's like that's a, in a playoff series. You get a lane for that kind of stuff. Like, go ahead. Yeah, go. Right. <laughs> we'll see you over there. You know, like right. I just. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a good time. Uh, <laughs> Josh, man, I appreciated it as always. Uh, thanks for di- we're going to do this again real soon. Yeah, and um, hopefully uh, the next one we have is a little bit more of a we have more uh, exciting hockey to talk about yeah hopefully there will be more positivity uh the next time we discuss and who knows we know one thing about the penguins like they can tend to be a pretty unpredictable franchise they could get hot here and it it wouldn't shock any of us who knows but uh they'll give us something to talk about i have no doubt and uh anytime gentlemen it's always a pleasure josh was a blast man thanks thanks man Well, Jesse, now that we had a good conversation with Josh and the beats have been dropped, I got some paper here. You know what that means. I hear it. It's time to hear from the people. So, to start off, to start off, (laughs) to start off, we got two questions in this same kind of manner, so I'll just combine them into one, uh, both concerning Penguins defenseman John Marino. Is this, is this a sophomore slump or did we buy into the hype? Uh, slump. Yeah, I'd have to agree. It's a sophomore slump. He, I, I, there's still a lot of good fundamentals in his game. You know, going a little coach speak on you, but he, he's still. It, it. This is kind of how it happens with younger defensemen and younger players in general. You know, except for the truly elite players, when you get to the second year, the league figures you out. The league knows who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, coach, yeah. Coaches watch film, video coaches watch film, and guys can game plan for you better. The big test comes. I, the big test comes when someone like Marino gets to the end of his second year, 
halfway through his second year or just the start of his third year and adjusts. That's when we'll find yep. out who he is. Agree entirely. Moving on, we have a question from Dan Fowler. He asks, is chili a soup? Dan says no because you can't put soup on a hot dog. Is chili Good point, soup? Dan. Shit. <laughs> I don't know that I have an argument against that. I will tell you that my initial inclination was to say no. So I'm standing in solidarity with Dan. Not a soup. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And it's kind of my similar to my why a hot dog isn't a sandwich. Agreement. Think about it this way. Okay. Let's say you go to a restaurant. Is the soup, is the soup du jour ever chili? No. There's chili on the menu, and then you have a soup section separately. So to me, not a soup. And that's, chili is a chili. That is my hot dog. category. That is my why a hot dog is not a sandwich argument. Because if I invite you to my cookout and I say, Jesse, bring sandwiches, and you show up with a plate of hot dogs, well, I'm not going to be upset. I'm going to be like, dude, I said bring sandwiches. Why did you bring hot right. dogs? I would, I would, just so you know, I'd probably bring like a, a, a BLT spread of some kind. Good man. Good man. Yeah. Thank you. Next question is from Matt Vargo. He asks, if this year's penguins were an alcoholic drink, what would they be and why? Mm. <clears throat> this is a tough one. Let's, let's set some ground rules here. No beers. Yeah, we can't, we can't pick a beer. Okay. All right. I had I had a half of an answer. It's got some with bitters in it, <laughs> for sure. I was gonna say like they're your kind of you know stereotypical mixed drinks like your rum and coke, whiskey, ginger, gin juice, all that kind of stuff. But you're not getting the top shelf booze. Yeah. I think it was. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think now. Could it potentially, Pat? Would it be would it be inappropriate to refer them uh, to them as a Long Island? Because I don't think Long Islands taste particularly good, and after you drink them, you just you can't even really see straight. You're just so out of it. Oh, dude, yeah, that's a good call. Like, I like I remember there was a bar at IUP. I think it was either on Friday. Or, I think it was Friday or Thursday or Friday nights. They had like dollar Long Islands. Yeah, and they just there's always one place, right? They, there's always one place for the Long uh, the Long Island special. And they li- like you literally could see that they made it in a Gatorade cooler. And it was my just, spot oh. for Long Islands was a place that doesn't even exist anymore in Moon Township, Pennsylvania, right across the street from Robert Morris. There used to be a ground round. Yeah, dude, I remember that one. Yeah. Yep. And on Tuesday nights, that ground round would have like dollar Long Islands or something. And the bartender there, his name was Greg. Uh, we would go up there, and I would remember seeing Greg at the beginning of the night. I don't remember seeing him when I left. <laughs> yeah, the the bar at IUP that would always do it was Culpepper's, and it was from like like eight to ten or something it was dollar long islands and you would just show up there with a fistful of dollars like as many as you got right now yeah right next question Uh. (laughs) comes from harrison baldwin and this is a hockey centric question we kind of got into this with josh a little bit but i think you and i can dig a little bit deeper do you think they fire the whole coaching staff because it doesn't feel like anything is working Harrison says he doesn't think promoting Reardon or Volucci will solve anything. Thoughts? Um, I think what would happen, hypothetically speaking, if this were to take place, is that they would keep the assistants on because they just hired them, and they would get a new head coach, and then at the end of the season, let him decide what happens with the assistants. Yeah, I, I think they would probably axe everybody except Volucci. He seems to be the heir apparent, and they seem to really like him. Mm. Now, heir apparent pre-Ron Hextall. Yeah, that's I. That's a good point. That's a really good point. And honestly, now that you say that, I don't think that's off the table. Like, I don't think, depending on how this season goes, I don't think it's off the table to think there might be a, a coaching regime change. that's you know assuming the season goes disastrous but i think you might be onto something there considering that the 
the regime at the top has changed. Yeah. So I only got one more. And okay. uh, it's kind of more for me, but I think you used to do this too, so I'll ask the question. This comes from Good Take Tony. Do you guys play EASHL, and if so, what position? Yeah, I used to. Um, I don't anymore. I retired from – I actually really don't play EA games at all now. Um, you know, fighting against the big man, I guess you could say. Um, I used to play center. I wasn't particularly good at faceoffs. I do still play. It's actually what I'm going to do after I finish this podcast, finish editing it and sending it to where we got to send it. Uh, I play center. I'm actually pretty damn good at faceoffs. And, you know, if you run into a team on Xbox, on NHL 21, EASHL, called Nick at Night, you're playing me, most likely. There you go. I'm trying to remember what, what I changed my character to, because character to, we're all old-school old 90s Nick's, Nick characters. So that's what we used to do. Uh, we used to do old, obscure Seinfeld characters. So for the longest time, my friend Garrett was Todd Gack. <laughs> my, uh, uh, I, my, my center was Izzy Mandelbaum. Uh, there was a whole, the whole slew of, you know, of, of names that were like that. David Putty, you know. My, uh, my NHL 19 EASHL team was a whitest kids you know reference. We were the uh, Lunar Bears. Yeah. It's a good one. And we just, you know, names or whatever. And then um, NHL 20, we were the Morty Town Locos, and every name was a Rick and Morty reference. And this year we're Nick at Night, and everybody's a 90s Nick reference. Uh, I'm Chucky Finster. We have <laughs> Repair Man, 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 Man. And we have Harold Berman. That's good. So, I like the Repair Man, 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 especially. So... Um, if you run, in- you know, you really missed an opportunity though, being is that it's EA and there's that you could throw a little Quebec Quaffler at it. Somebody's got to do PRS cargo we had, at that, some point. That was one, that was one of the first ones. <laughs> Somebody was PRS cargo to start the, to start the year. Yeah. That's great. Had that. Um, I was auto rocket to start and I had like the fro and everything and no helmet. So that was a ton of yeah. fun. That's uh, all I got from the correspondence is Jesse. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for joining us, everybody. It's been another episode of uh, Good Hockey Talk. Appreciate it, Pat. And uh, we'll be back again real soon to uh, talk more hockey with you. Keep sending in the correspondences. Thanks for listening. Thanks to The Athletic for hosting. And uh, we'll talk to you all soon. See you.